On the programme this week, the new idea that's actually going back to basics. Farmers are great at producing food, but maybe not always great at uh, engaging with the final consumer of that food. As one of the farmers, we'll also meet the first customer to try his new raw milk vending machine. It's not tampered with, it's not mucked about with, it's fresh milk. Plus, another first, we're at the Sugar Beet Factory as the first beet arrives for the new campaign. We're well underway, we've got uh, loading shovels, lorries, pushing uh, sugar beet from one place to the next. More from Nick Morris later. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. We start this week on the farm of Adam Dugard. He's just installed a raw milk vending machine. They're all the rage in some parts of the country where there's more dairy farming, but it's something new for our parts of the world. You can, of course, buy raw milk, basically unpasteurised milk, milk with very little, if anything, done to it from a a number of farmers. And uh, last month, a vending machine was installed at a farm in East Yorkshire. We'll hear from that farmer in a moment. First, though, to Adam. He's based at Home Farm on the A15 near Cambie Corner and switched on his machine, the very first in Lincolnshire, on Thursday morning. The only place you're allowed to buy unpasteurised milk is is on a farm. You're not allowed to buy it uh, in the supermarket. So I think it gives us a little edge there for people. And there are people who want to buy unpasteurised milk for that market. And I think also it's just great to be able to engage with the public a bit more. I think as farmers we haven't always been great at doing that. And um, we don't do a lot of direct selling really on farm. And I think it's you know, an opportunity to engage with the public directly, tell them about what we're doing here and get them interested in the whole dairy farming industry. Now we're stood inside a well, kind of a shed, it's, it's where the vending machine is, it's just off the, uh, the A15, um, so easy, easy to access near, near Cambie Corner as well. So, so the idea is people pull in, they can come inside, help themselves to a bottle and then just get the milk, yeah? Yes, that's right. Um, that's exactly right. Yeah, we have a, a fridge full of uh, sterilised um, sort of supermarket-style plastic milk bottles uh, and the idea is that you uh, help yourself and that you then uh, pay the fee uh, either by coin or by, uh, uh, by card. We have a, a, an automatic card reader as well and, uh, and you fill up and, and away you go. And um, yeah, I, I think it'll be very easy and convenient to use. It's just on the main road, and uh, I hope it's something that uh, people will enjoy using. And you, you've been drinking raw milk well, all your life, really? Yes, I, I know there are um, some uh, queries I've had about how safe it is to drink unpasteurised milk. Uh, and all I can say is, well, I've, I've drunk it all of my life. My children uh, were brought up drinking it. Because there is, there is some bacteria within the milk, isn't there? There's a risk of being, anyway. Yeah, there is. Uh, there is. It isn't, it isn't sterilised as pasteurised milk is. And the idea is really that the bacteria that there are in milk uh, is good for you. That's actually what stimulates uh, your immune system. And there are uh, studies to support that, that uh, you know, people who suffer from allergies uh, are improved by uh, getting a bit of, uh, of the good bacteria inside you. I mean, that's why people buy these probiotic products like Yakult and things like that, you know, to stimulate uh, bacterial growth. So uh, it, it is, I believe, good for you. And I think in the, in the balance of risk, I think it's a risk worth taking. I was chatting to one of my colleagues yesterday. They were saying that they used to work on a farm as a lad and uh, part of their payment was either a bottle of raw milk, still warm, or, uh, or an egg. So it's, it's nothing new really, is it? This isn't warm milk though, is it? No, no, this milk has gone through our, the plate cooler and is, uh, is, is nicely chilled. Um, so yes, it is, it is ice cold. Uh, but yes, that's right. I mean, on the farm here, we employ um, 
well, there's uh, five uh, full-time people on the dairy and they all drink the milk as well. And uh, they all have done for years and they're all uh, big fans of it. And I think they're, I think one of the really nice things as an employer is to, to see how excited the, the staff are here about selling their product directly to the public and, uh, and getting them involved. It's great. And as you say, it is about engaging with the public as well. It's, it's very important in farming nowadays. I think it absolutely is. I think we as farmers haven't always been great at it, if I'm honest. I don't think we've always, uh, you know, farmers are great at producing food, but maybe not always great at uh, engaging with the final consumer of that food. And it's not, um, it's not surprising that a lot of kids don't understand where milk comes from and, and how it's produced. Uh, that's partly our fault because we haven't really got people onto farm and explained to them. And so maybe if we can address that here a little bit and get people interested in, in, in how uh, milk is produced and also maybe dispel some of the myths that are around milk production because there's an awful lot of um, stuff on social media and uh, on the internet about you know, so some some uh, stories about milk production which aren't true, and I think uh, you know uh, that's a way of dispelling some of those myths as well. And how are things in the dairy industry at the moment? Well, I, I think the, the, you know they, they're always challenging. It's challenging to produce milk at a profit in this country, um, but I am an optimist. I think uh, you know there's everything to play for, and I think we have a future here producing high quality milk, you know, at a reasonable price and. Um, there will always be a demand for dairy products and uh, I think it will you know we would always hopefully be able to produce milk um, more reasonably than um, uh, we can import it so I am an optimist but there are challenges yes as we're just chatting to Adam there the first customer has arrived what's your name Mrs Ma and where well, are you from Mrs Ma um, South Kelsey okay and have you drank raw milk before yeah I used to go on the way to Derby there used to be a farm there that did it and I used to go in there and get it. So what is it about raw milk that you like? It's what it is. <laughs> it's not tampered with, it's not mucked about with, it's, it's fresh milk. And you're buying three bottles of it, so you're obviously yeah. quite keen well, on it. Well, one's going to my daughter. Right. Taking one to her for a treat. Absolutely. And it's all about supporting farmers like Adam as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. I support farmers a lot because, um, as I said, I always buy my meat at a farm shop. I'd rather support the farmers than the shops. Mrs Ma there, the first customer of Adam Dugard's raw milk vending machine at Home Farm near Cambie Corner. As mentioned, a similar machine was installed in East Yorkshire a couple of weeks ago, slightly different in that the milk is heated up to take out that bacteria. Uh, Becky Waring is owner of Cherry View Milk at Cherry Burton. We were in a position where I needed to do some more work on the family farm to help my mother-in-law out after she's had some knee operations. Um, and with milk price being quite poor, I didn't want the farm to have to pay me a wage. So I've invested in this machinery so that hopefully it'll generate a wage that allows me to work on the farm and help out with the cows. The machine that I have is the 39th in the country, uh, to be precise. So it, it's pretty new when you could th think that there are over 9,000 dairy farmers. Um, and certainly there's nothing just around um, the East Riding of Yorkshire where you can get milk in this way. So it's been really popular. We're struggling to keep up with it, to be honest. Um, we had budgeted on doing 50 litres a day. And at the moment, when we get as far as 220, that's as many as we can do. And some days we're having to put out a sold out board, say it's all gone. So um, we're really pleased everyone's enjoying the milk as much as they are. Becky Waring there from East Yorkshire's Cherry View Milk. It'll be uh, very interesting, actually, to see how well those vending machines do. We'll uh, keep a check on them over the coming months. Right, let's get an update on agronomy, shall we? It's time for the uh, weekly report from Sean Sparling. Yes, morning, Sean. That'll be one to watch, I think. Fascinating, really. I, it's only just up the road from me as well, so I'll pop up there and get some raw milk of myself. It's good to see the spirit of adventure isn't lost 
in Lincolnshire's farmers. Um, right, let's just start where we're bound to want to start, and that's oilseed rape. <clears throat> the weather has been very difficult once again this week. We haven't had many opportunities to go spraying flea beetle. The only good thing is that as conditions begin to cool down, the activity of flea beetles start to fall away. Now, that doesn't mean that these backward crops that are cotyledons to one, two true leaves are no longer at risk because you need to monitor them very, very closely. And remember that it's if 25% of the leaf area on the plant is being affected, um, up to two true leaves. Once you get to four true leaves, it's 50% of the leaf area. But as things stand at the moment, I think that damage is starting to fall away, not least, I think, because of the inclement weather, the wind and the rain. Um, and also remember, of course, we keep saying this, but the pyrethroids that we're relying on to control cabbage stem flea beetle adults, they are contact. They're not residual. They don't hang about for four or five days. So it's it's important that you spray the beetles themselves. It's important that you're not just going out and spraying routinely for the sake of doing it and keeping your fingers crossed. If you need to go, then go. Also slugs. Obviously the cooler weather, the wetter weather, it's slowed the growth down as well. So that brings the slugs on and the crops aren't growing away from the slug damage. And I think it's a, it's a lot of years since I've seen oilseed rape come through the ground like this and just sit. It's doing nothing. And that's because it's got wet feet, it's cold, it's just nothing there to get it going, get it interested in the job. So everything is at it. Remember, slug traps, don't just blanket spread. Don't spread metaldehyde slug pellets within 10 metres of a watercourse or a field boundary. That's where you use your ferrous phosphate. And it's very, very important that you adhere to that. It's very, very important that you stick to this 210 grams of metaldehyde between the 1st of August and the end of December because if it starts appearing in water, if we're overusing it, if we're abusing it, we're going to lose it. And it is a vital tool to all of us. Yes, we have ferrous phosphate. It's a lot more expensive and it's not quite as quick on the slugs. So please use it wisely and please use it only if there's a need to do so. Obviously, don't apply it to waterlogged fields um, and try and avoid putting it on immediately before rain because it is hydrophilic. It will find its way into the water and it will go with that water wherever the water goes whether that be into rivers or reservoirs. Um, now, other things, people are starting to talk about drilling winter wheat. Obviously, you shouldn't even be contemplating drilling winter wheat into black grass fields. Yes, I can see a logic for getting stuck in on the heathland, on non-black grass land, and you want to be aiming at around about 175 to 200 seeds plants, established plants a square metre. So remember your calculation, take your 1,000 seed weight, multiply it, by the target plants per square meter, divide it by the germination and multiply the whole thing by 100 plus field losses. So 1.1 for 10% field losses. That gives you kilograms per hectare seed rate and that gets you in good kelter for, for getting drilled. And normally this time of year, you're a little bit early still, I think, um, but 20th September, 175 seeds a square meter if you're getting into the first couple of weeks of October maybe 225 250 but judge it on the seedbed conditions and assume that you're only going to get 90 odd percent of those plants coming don't just go light because you can save a few quid and remember if you have potential issues on the farm with wheat bulb fly we have nothing but the austral plus seed dressing to deal with that so you need that seed dressing on if you've got high risk and you've had a history of wheat bulb fly problems in the past um, again 
pre-emergence, if you've got issues with any weeds like brome or um, black grass or wild oats, delay those fields if you can, but utilise the pre-emergence herbicides. And it seems five minutes only since we were talking about this last year. But there are some very good materials out there. If you're going to use a pre-emergence herbicide, for goodness sake, use it as a pre-emergence herbicide. Drill, roll, spray within two or three days. If you're using Avidex granules, get them on as soon as you possibly can. And remember, the better the seed bed, the better Avidex granules will work because they're a granule that goes from a solid to a gas without going through the liquid phase. So they need to be able to get into a, an even seed bed rather than a craggy seed bed, which would allow them to volatilize and go upwards. So it's all go again. There's an awful lot of movement on black grass, on wild oats, on brome. So there are plenty of opportunities yet before you start thinking about drilling wheat into black grass fields to get that glyphosate in and get yourself two or three good kills. And remember, a flush of black grass is about 500 plants a square metre. Just because you've got 50 plants, 50 plants, 50 plants, and you've sprayed off three times in three weeks, you're still on the first flush. So speak to your agronomist and make sure that you understand how important it is. And last year proved it. Mother Nature stepped in. She stopped us drilling till the end of October and blackgrass levels were much reduced on the year. So uh, delay. If you've got blackgrass fields, play the game of poker, hold your nerve and don't go drilling for another three or four weeks yet. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Last Thursday saw the start of the new Sugar Beet campaign and I was lucky enough to be out in the yard at the New York factory to see the first lorries arrive with Nick Morris. Well, as you can hear behind me, a hive of activity. Uh, Nick Morris is here as well. First day of campaign then. Um, hello, Nick. Hello. Welcome to New Campaign. Yeah, indeed. Thanks, uh, Sean, and welcome to, uh, to Newark on our first day of campaign. Uh, as you can see, we're, we're well underway. We've got uh, loading shovels, lorries... Uh, pushing uh, sugar beet to, from one place to the next, really, like you say, a hive of activity. And it's great to stand here with you every year. I'm always really eager uh, to get down and see the first whole lorry loads of beet delivered uh, to our fat, flat pad and ultimately get a feel for the size of the roots that are, that are coming our way. As you can see, they're really uh, encouraging and uh, also complemented by above average sugar content. So we're looking at a great, great start to our campaign. The factory behind us is now slicing. It's uh, up to about half speed so far, doing about 220 tonnes an hour. So we'll look to build that up over the next 12 hours. Hopefully we'll be then up to uh, around 10,000 tonnes a day, ultimately for the rest of the campaign is our target. So uh, root digs, as I said, they've clearly uh, indicated a crop exceeding our five-year average. So having seen some of this crop delivered to us today, then we can only have more confidence in that. So. As I said, we're in for a long season. It's really important that uh, hauliers are able to fulfil all of their deliveries now. I mean, ultimately, deliveries missed now uh, in September will uh, extend the campaign through March uh, 2018. But with these perfect lifting conditions and cereal harvest more or less uh, put to bed, I think timing can be better to start campaign. So uh, hopefully growers looking forward to get stuck into it as well. In terms of the crop itself, um, as ever, I can't help but uh, comment on the growth of my lawn. It still needs cutting once a week. Yeah. Uh, and this growth has definitely been experienced by the sugar beet crop, hence why the roots we're looking at now look so uh, healthy and full of promise. Um, disease, we're starting to see a little bit in crops uh, as we were around a month ago. It's kind of um, mainly brown rust. We are seeing uh, some sacospora in some regions, but the first and second fungicide should have that uh, well in control. 
Uh, lastly, just to say uh, we're currently getting towards the end of our contracting round for next year's crop and in fact the deadline uh, is Friday the 15th of September so if you haven't returned your contract to us already then please get in touch with your area manager. Other than that, that's all from me other than just to wish everybody a very prosperous and safe campaign. I'm sorry, as you say, it is a hive of activity behind, we can hear. We've just got another load uh, just coming in as well. We're stood in front of a, well, a pile of sugar beet. I'm sure it's got a more professional name than that, but what would you call it? No, exactly right. I would uh, <laughs> settle with pile, and uh, what you're looking at there is around 4,000 tonnes of sugar beet piled seven metres high, uh, and looking in prime, perfect condition. And by the time you come here, to, if you came here tomorrow morning, that won't be there anymore. And uh, there's a queue of lorries as well. That must be pleasing to see the lorries coming in so soon. Absolutely, it's really encouraging, and particularly when I look at this queue of lorries, knowing the different geographies that they're coming from, we can see that we're receiving beet from all the way around uh, Yorkshire, Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire, uh, and even some into, into Leicestershire. Uh, in fact, that vehicle over there has come all the way from, uh, from Loughborough. So it's great to see the variety um, of the lorries coming in and giving us the nice uh, spread of beet to process and get stuck into. It was noisy. Nick Morris from British Sugar. Blimey, uh, the new campaign really has started. The year is slipping away, isn't it? On to grain and cereal news then. It's Henry Young from Openfield this week. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, how's Tom? That's the question. Obviously, last Sunday on the programme we mentioned he was running the uh, the Great North Run. How did he do? Well, he did it in one hour, 47 minutes. So he beat his target by one hour, 50 minutes. So he's quite happy. I bet he is. I bet he is. Resting up as well, no doubt. Yes, yeah, uh, re- ready for the next event, no doubt. Yeah, I know he's got a couple more runs coming up. So uh, well done, Tom. We're all proud of you. <laughs> well done. Uh, what's happening in the world of open field then, Henry? Well, it's been kind of a, a serious weather week. I know Sean's been dodging the weather uh, on uh, on Thursday. So also this week we've seen some sunny times, but hail as well across the county. Uh, This has stopped quite a lot of people in their tracks with the last bit of harvest that they've still got left to do. Travelling around the county this week, I've seen wheat, barley, beans and linseed still out in the field. Time will tell what quality is still out there, when it's cut and sampled, and then we'll go from there with those final bits. This week also we've seen a USDA report. Very neutral report. Uh, Wheat productions were increased slightly, most most in Russia, but decreased uh, in Australia and the EU. Global corn production was decreased. The US production was increased, but this was pulled back by Ukraine uh, on their reductions. While we talk about the world wheat, it's worth having a look at the exports as well. The French soft uh, exports are recovering strongly with kind of their multi-lows that we've seen recently. First forecast for the grain shipping, it's very, very high. So time will tell how how this is going to work. There could be a jump of up to 60% for their shipping for this season. Whether or not it happens, wait and see. But this this is what's being spoken about in the markets at the moment. An export recovery, it could see some very strong shipments also out of the EU. So wait and see where they go. Remember, France like the Algeria business and the Algerians like the French crop as well. So time will tell. The forecast, also seeing some strong competition coming out of Russia. Do remember that they like to get going early because they do their ports do freeze over. They have come out fast this year, but... The, uh, the UK exports have started slower, which is a bit more usual than before. Remember last year we went out very, very quickly and then it just pretty much dropped off a cliff. So again, let's let's hope this carries on. Something to take note from at the moment is the high quality wheat is in a real demand at the moment. There doesn't seem to be that much of it around. This is worldwide after drought has hit crops in both Australia, Canada and the US. Sources of high grain, well, let's see where they come from. Remember, Kazakhstan normally produces some very high stuff. 
let's see what quality comes out of there. On the large crop viewed, uh, there's been some real shortage across Russia as well with supplies being tight. This is uh, going to be a payoff between the yields, which have been high, and the quality, which does dilute the protein levels, which, which we are seeing also in the UK milling wheats, with premiums being better than they have been over the last, last couple of years. So looking at those prices, September 134 to 137, November 136 to 138, May 18, 141 to 144, and November 18, 139 to 142. Malting barley, the markets continue to digest the huge variety of quality across samples within uh, from the UK. England as a whole has particular widespread, seeing quality improving uh, further north you travel. On that note, the Scottish harvest continues, being 75% complete, with good quality yields still being seen. It is reported that their crops still are not fit uh, with recent wet and windy weather, uh, with recent storms that we've seen here as well. At the time, it's not causing too much harm. Further afield, Scandinavian harvest is ongoing, with the Dutch crop now in the barn. Most areas reported good quality yields. Uh, back to England, a number of consumers are attending the annual event in Germany, seeing maltsters and brewers coming back together. Clearly, there'll be a number of hot topics to be discussed this year, mainly uh, about the quality of the barley in the UK. Uh, we hope to get a better clarity of what quality they're going to be taking this year. So, again, this may have an impact on the market later on. Seeing springs at the moment, the market's hovering around a 30 to £35 uh, mark over feed barley. So, worth having those conversations. Talk to your buyers, see what buyback opportunities there are, and also see what news and market information is out there. The Orsid rate market, the Matif has staged quite a recovery this week. We did see some lows at the start of the week, but it is now coming back up. This is good to see because those markets did come under quite a lot of pressure. The soybeans uh, have taken back the losses that they did gain in the USDA report, as multiple sources are questioning the high yield forecast on the pod numbers also, which are low. Again, the scouts are out looking about what, what quality is out there, how, how it's weighing. So this is going to have an impact on the market going forward. The South American uh, farmers are struggling with the weather ahead of their soybean planting season. Argentinian growers are suffering with the excess rain and also the, uh, the reduced area on the soybeans, while Brazil uh, dry weather ahead of their rainy season is putting people off the planting. So looking at the prices, September 310, November 313 and May 18, 319. Just a quick one on the beans. The quality at the moment continues to be poor with a high level of brewcid. Again, we'll see what happens with these bits that are still out in the fields, meaning that there is little beans meeting that human consumption spec. Values have drifted back on the number of feed beans out there, with values about 150 to 153 for feed and about 180 for human consumption, showing a very good premium there. These prices are for September and October. Henry Young from Open Fields. Right, let's uh, take a look at what's happening with the weather for the week ahead, shall we? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today we'll see some rain. Could be heavy for a time. 17 Celsius the high. The wind from the north, uh, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Clear skies for a time this evening, but clouding over by early tomorrow. 9 the low. The wind from the northwest, 10, gusting at 20. And then tomorrow a drier day with patchy cloud. Highs of 16 and the wind continuing from the northwest at about 10 miles an hour. Monday into Tuesday, staying cloudy, lows down to 9 Celsius. The wind from the west at 7, maybe gusting at 17, 18 miles an hour. And then a sunny start to Tuesday, but clouding over later, highs of 18. The wind from the west-northwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. 
Staying overcast but dry Tuesday into Wednesday. Lows down to around 10 Celsius. The winds starting from the west-southwest, then from the southwest uh, between 10 and 15 miles an hour. And then Wednesday itself, the possibility of a shower quite cloudy as well. Highs of 17 Celsius and the wind from the south-southwest at 10 to 20 miles an hour. As for the end of the week, it looks like another band of heavy rain could sweep across our area and it could be quite breezy as well for a time, though it should calm down come the weekend. We're looking at daytime highs of mid-teens, overnight lows of around 8 or 9 Celsius. And that's the forecast. Hello if you're at uh, Tillage Live, also on Thursday. It was a busy Thursday, the one just gone, it's fair to say. Plenty of people and exhibitors, and it was good to see some good numbers of ploughs on display as well, up on previous years. We'll uh, hopefully hear from some of the exhibitors on next week's programme. Of course, this coming week, starting today, in fact, it's uh, Young Farmers Week, so uh, have a good week if you're in Young Farmers. I know various events planned to uh, mark the week and attract new members. We'll reflect some of that as well, hopefully, uh, next week on the programme. That is next week, though. Until then, as ever, have a good week's farming.